Yes, I think you could say this weekend is a big moment for modern Australia. It's when many of us try to digest the ramifications of yesterday's Royal Commission report into robo-debt with its profound judgments on political decision-making and the nature of public service advice. How did this cruel and crude mechanism, in the words of Commissioner Catherine Holmes, really happen? How did it take so long to rectify? Um, and probably the biggest question of all, how to ensure this failure of policy never happens again amidst finding out that former ministers and federal officials could face civil and criminal prosecutions for their role in the $1.7 billion welfare, uh, welfare recovery scheme. Melissa Code is a lawyer and journalist for The Mandarin. It's a news site covering the public sector and it's been looking at this very closely. Melissa, welcome to the program. Hi, Jolie. How are you? Uh, good, um, but certainly um, provoked to think as a result of yesterday. I mean, it must yeah. have been a moment of truth for many Canberra public servants to hear those findings, Melissa. One of your headlines said there's been there's a lot of shame to be experienced uh, in a way before plans for change. Is that the feeling that's been conveyed to you in your reporting? Absolutely. And so the public servants is our audience. They're our bread and butter. And as you might suspect, they're usually reticent to say anything on the public record, which includes commenting on your news articles. But yesterday and the sort of coverage in the lead up to the handing down of the Royal Commission's final report saw a real buzz of um, contrition isn't even the word, just shame, total shame and embarrassment. And there are lots of people in the public service who feel let down um, by the very systemic issues which hurt everyday Australians. How much of a blow is it, do you think, to the reputation of the public service, in your view? Immense. And it's a blow for this reason. In a post-COVID world where the government is looking very forensically at democratic resilience, something like institutional trust and trust in government is hugely important. We face a time of polycrises, and the public service use that word all the time. If you're going to adapt and respond at pace to polycrises, you need the public to trust you. Um, and on something as fundamental as social welfare, which really is sort of, you know, a, a jewel in the crown of what the federal government does for the Australian citizens, that's major. Uh, and... You use that word adapt, and just thinking of the conversation we just had, what I read was there was an obs sort of near obsession with showing that the public service could use technology to deliver outcomes desired by governments. That seems to have been a really, I mean, there are lots of things, but that almost is the kernel of it, it seemed to me. That's right. And, you know, the public service doesn't operate in a vacuum. Um, it follows the, the policy agenda and the mandate of the popularly ele elected government of the day. But they also have codes of conduct, uh, legislated values. Recently, that set of legislated values has been reformed to add a sixth value, stewardship, which I dare say in no small part has something to do with what robo-debt has exposed has been lacking. Um, and the new head of the Australian Public Service Commission, Gordon DeBrow, recently went on the record to say robo-debt showed the public service for a time had lost its soul, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a big existential comment, right? Certainly and I think is. that adding stewardship as a value really tries it as best it can to sort of hit that in the eyes. So just talk about the stewardship value, please. So the stewardship value really intends to seize on this idea of why do public servants 
do the job they do. And it's really in the word, public service. Um, it says it on the can. But beyond that, to make sure that you're not putting political agendas or the desires of ministers before ethical decisions or decisions which are designed to protect and serve the public, you need to be thinking with a custodian stewardship mindset. And that really boils down to leaving institutions in a better place than when you first arrived there and having a sense of ownership that this is yours. You know, so for those public servants who work for the affected government agencies that were sort of poisoned by the robo-debt scandal, it, that is pertinent, but also the wider public service because trust obviously matters across the board. I mean, it's been such a forensic examination. Um, from your perspective, what does it tell us about the process and the interaction between the public service and political masters, certainly in this case? Frank and fearless advice is really a headline issue here. Um, and there is some still live debate about the best conditions and climate for that frank and fearless advice to land. So that is, um, in the context of robo-debt, a question about how clear was it to the ministers deciding to sign the dotted line on this policy and give the public servants the green light to press ahead with what was ultimately a really punitive scheme that unfairly targeted welfare recipients and demonised them and made them feel criminal for relying on what is just an ordinary government service. Um, yeah, but, but also the important... Sorry to interrupt you, but what I got reading again through it was that if the original advice that it needed legislation to, to reverse the onus of proof, as it were, that that yeah. needed legislation which would have then come to Parliament and been overt, you know, and we would have all Absolutely. known. Now, that was where it... <laughs> It went wrong from what I could read because that was overridden um, and it didn't happen. And then all the rest, there was a sort of a, you know, cascade of errors after that. So the, who, how does that not happen again? You've, you've, you've nailed it. And I was thinking about this earlier today because um, a lot of the practical advice, which I think individual public servants can take from um, the Royal Commission report is document, 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 put everything in writing so that when it, there is a sort of retrospe retrospective forensic look in the rearview mirror about what happened, there's clear evidence about what happened. And the thing about legislation is it's a very abject way of putting something on the record. It says, this is the government intention. This is why we're changing it. And in the case of Robodet, if that had happened, what would have been required was a total sort of reimagining of what social welfare means. And that would have been a very important public debate Discussion. to have. Mm. And you wouldn't have had a policy or a program which runs counteractive to the public interest. But you'd have to put a lot of political capital into that very thing, you see. And that is where government mandate comes from. That's why the public service exists as a separate entity to the politicians, because the politicians have to wear that. And, you know, you could sort of describe it as a very tricky origin story, robo-debt. And that was, that was where the rubber hit the road. Mm. Um, and as the commissioner was trying to nail who said yes to what, who put the accelerator on this really speedy, hasty, clumsy policy design that ran counter to the public interest, you could see the skill and tactic of the witnesses in responding uh, to try and avoid that responsibility. Mm -hmm. 
Catherine Holmes, though, to her credit in her report, says the absence of your direct testimony on that issue doesn't mean I can't say pretty mm. conclusively you were probably the one wearing 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 the shame. Yeah. Now, what about procedural fairness and natural justice, which is for the people of the 20 who were sort of named, and I know that their names are in the paper today. Who now makes the referrals? Where's the next stage go? That was entirely what the press conference yesterday with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and Government Services Minister Bill Shorten focused on. Um, basically, the sealed section of the final report has been given to Anthony Albanese's right-hand man, Professor Glyn Davis. He's head of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Um, and together with other relevant Commonwealth heads, they will decide what the next steps are. There's still a bit of opacity about what that means. You know, if you're the person deciding, yes, send this person to prosecution or yes, send this person to some kind of professional misconduct route, how the decision over those sanctions will be made. So we'll keep asking questions as the media and hopefully find out in due time. It's also a little less clear in terms of what that means for the politicians who've been named in that sealed document. Right. Um, and did did she name people who'd done well? I often think Royal Commission's purely, you know, name the guilty man and woman without looking at the competence that's there. Could, you know, can you summarise, Was did you get that sense or not? She absolutely did. And part of the train wreck that was the hearings of the Royal Commission was to hear the sort of challenges that a lot of mid-level management staff had not being heard, no. um, being bullied, really classic examples of toxic workplace behaviour. Um, and the commissioner called out a number of people and lauded them for their contributions. All but right. one particular we, compliance officer, Colleen Taylor. Colleen, yes, I think I heard her. Look, we have to go. Thank you, Melissa, very much indeed. No trouble. Bye. Melissa Code from The Mandarin. Well worth reading. News time. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.